So if you just want to jump right in with me, please open your Bibles to the book of Romans. Hallelujah. Romans is a thick, thick, thick book. It is a good one, and we're going to read all 16 chapters tonight. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> no, not really. I want to talk about a heart check for 2022. A heart check for 2022. I hope this can be a message that will um, prompt searching by the Lord uh, in us. You know, whenever an NFL hopeful, someone's coming out of college, they're going to go to the NFL combine, they get a physical. Or if anyone's going to be on, even on a high school team or go to the Olympics, you have a physical. You have a checkup before you go to compete. And what are you looking for? You're looking for a weakness. You're looking for something that when that body is under stress, is going to cause issue to that athlete or that, or that prospective athlete. And so they need a heart check. Um, I'm a soccer fan. Maybe y'all aren't. But what I used to love is before the MLS, uh, not the MLS, but the national team winter camps that they'd have every single year for one month to get ready. They'd bring them in and they would do the stress tests. And you'd see the guys who had just been slouching, eating cheese fries in the off season. And you would see how they would go. And then you'd see the people who are always competing and how they were running on that treadmill. And it was just amazing. Their heart rates are just going higher, 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 higher until they finally fail. But their heart check for 2022, I believe is for me and it's for all of us because I believe God wants to do a lot of exciting stuff in this next year if he should tarry, if he should tarry and he doesn't rapture us out before I even get to start. But think of this as preparation. Think of this as an exhortation and a prompting to expectation for next year. A lot of shuns, right? Preparation, expectation, expectation. What does God want to do? We've heard a lot about God wanting to increase our body, wanting to grow it. If he is a vine and we are the branches, what does a healthy vine do? Grows, right? And if the branches in that vine are healthy, what do they do? They grow and they bear fruit, right? And it puts off new sprouts. Why? Because life is coming up that stem out into the branches. And so if we are walking in obedience and abiding in Christ, what should come from our church? Growth, new life, not just from the pulpit. But as people are gathered in by the spirit of the living God, as he does that. So tonight, I want to lean hard on the Holy Spirit. I want to lean hard upon his grace to perform the things that he desires. Because I myself cannot give him what he demands, what he wants from my life. None of us can. And we as a church cannot do that except by the grace of God. So anything that we hear, would you have to fall down and say, you do this in me. So Quick question. Who wrote the book of Romans? Paul. Awesome. Great. That's really good. That's right. The book of Romans was written by the apostle Paul, and he was the apostle to which group of people? The Gentiles, right? So from a biblical perspective, we have how many groups of people? Two, right? The Gentiles and the Jews. And so Paul was a what himself? Yeah, and he was like a Jew of all Jews. You read that in the book of Galatians. He studied under basically like the top people, the top legal experts there. He was really on his way up. And, and though Paul was raised in Tarsus, which was a town in Turkey, and there would have been a lot of Gentiles there, he was a real Jew. So he, I don't think that he probably paid much respect to the Gentile people. He would have known their culture. 
He would have known the language. He was a tent maker, so he would have sold things to them, I'm sure, because he would, probably was a very shrewd businessman, right? Um, but he would not have liked them very much. And yet God called that man to the very people that he probably at one time would have disdained. It seems backwards. God, why would you take the Harvard Law School graduate and send him to the ignorant? And, of course, they had philosophers and things like this. But why would you take then an ignorant fisherman who puts his foot in his mouth all the time and send him to the Jews? Why would you, why would you take him from, you know, the swamps of Louisiana, you know, and send him to D.C. speaking messed up kind of English? You know what I mean if you could put that into parallel. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But God can do whatever he wants to do with the clay, with our lives. And the book of Romans is written to both groups of people, both groups of people, Jews and Gentiles and the city of Rome. Rome, it was the capital of which empire? Rome, right? It was, it bore the same name as that empire. It was a metropolitan city. Maybe it was like New York City for us, right? It, all of these nations, all of this trade, it's there on that peninsula of Italy. And you've got people coming in, people coming out. You've got false worship. You've got the Roman emperor there. And the Jews had actually been kicked out of Rome at one time. A lot of the early converts, I'm just going to lay a foundation real quick here so we can really start to talk about some things. They got kicked out. And so what happened was some of those early Jewish people who maybe would have been in church leadership, they got kicked out, which would have meant that some of the Gentiles would have been leading that church whenever they left. But then a lot of the Jews were allowed back into Rome. And so actually what we see here is this real mixture of these two very, very different cultures and one church. And how many of us know that when you take different cultures and put them together, well, they're different, aren't they? they they're, not, they're not homogenous. They're not always the same. Is it warm in here to y'all? Yeah. All right. Is it not? I am burning up. I'm sorry. Y'all don't ever ask me to do this for y'all. I am burning up. So, I'm sorry. I'm going to need this to blow on me a little bit more. I love y'all. Hallelujah. All right. I'm like sweating. I see people's eyes closed and people's faces getting red. So, okay. Thank you, Lord. All right. So, it's written to Jews and Gentiles. The AC's coming on and we're ready to roll. Um, if you go with me to Romans chapter one, verses, something always interesting always happens every time I get up here. It's just like, maybe because I'm boring and God wants y'all to pay attention. So Romans one eighteen says this, uh, Paul is writing to these people. He's never met these people. He's never been with them before. And, uh, he's got these two different groups of people. And, and you know what he does? He just starts cutting out all their legs out from under them. You know, you Jewish people, y'all, y'all have this knowledge of God. You, you Gentile people, y'all think y'all are this. But let me tell you what you are in the eyes of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Suppress it. Some people will declare there is no testimony of God in nature. Well, I know very clearly from scriptures that if you say that you have simply suppressed the truth you have simply lied against the truth it says for what can be known about god is plain to them because god has shown it to them 
for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been, how have they been perceived? Clearly perceived. You know there is a creator. If you watch missionary biographies, if you read them, the people that those missionaries go to a hundred years ago was really the heyday in uh, and, and a big way of, of reaching out into a lot of these places out in the jungles and all of these places. And you'd wonder, what do they know about God? And you get there and they had some understanding of deity, some understanding of right and wrong, some understanding of a superior being that these people were always trying to appease. They may have not known his name, but they knew that there was a power above them. They clearly perceived it. And that was clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are what? Without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they came, became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so God is saying here through Paul, I'm going to judge the Gentiles. I'm going to judge them because all my creation revealed who I was, that I was real, and that they are guilty. They are guilty. Unless the Jewish, unless those Jewish people in the congregation who first got this letter are like, yeah, that's right, you, y'all are dirty, y'all need to be like us. He then would go on to say this in Romans chapter 2 verses 9 through 11. He said this. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Who's first? The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Before the cross, the Jewish people were the people of God. The kingdom of God belonged to them. To them would come the Messiah. To them the Messiah, Jesus, did come. They were his unique people. If anyone from the lost lands of all the earth before the cross wanted to know the way to God, they should have been able to go to a Jew, a Jewish person who maybe even would have been in another city doing trade. And they, may, they should have been able to say, who is your God? And he should have been able from his heart to declare who the one true living God was. He should have been able to do that. But the vast majority of them rejected Christ. And he died on that cross, put to death with the approval of the Jewish leadership at the hands of the Romans. And we know that. Paul goes on and says, basically, look, in that congregation there in Rome, you people who have the law in your hearts, and you would say, but I am of the people of God. I'm of the lineage of Abraham. They are my forefathers, my patriarchs. Surely, now that I'm a believer, I am right. I'm very special with God. And yes, we are special with God. But this is what Paul said. If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a lead, a light to those who are in darkness. Can you hear the sarcasm? An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, right? These barbarians, they must be children to you. You can teach them all this knowledge you have. Having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others. Do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor or hate idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. In one fail swoop, very painfully, 
He puts all of them in that church on the same ground. All lost. All with mouths like open graves apart from the righteousness of Christ. Now, there, <clears throat> now there's no difference. Your voice cracked Sunday. I just didn't want you to feel like you're all alone in that. So, <laughs> Hallelujah. So there are two different groups. And maybe I'd like to break it down like this. Those who were exposed to truth for years. And those who were ignorant to the truth, relatively speaking. And I'd like for us to now take that from their perspective and bring it to our church. Bring it here to our hearts. And I want to say that this can be true of us as well. This can be true of us as well. Think about that for a second. Think about how that could apply to us. Go with me to Romans now chapter 9. Romans 9 through 11, Paul breaks up talking about how we won't be slaves to sin anymore because we're righteous. The fight that he had with sin, but now how he was set free through faith in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome all those things. And then his heart begins to explode for the people of God. His heart begins to explode for his kinsmen. You see, his heart was torn in such a way. I'm called to the Gentiles, but oh God, I could actually wish that I could go to hell so that my people would be saved. Every city he went into, he was going there called to preach to the Gentiles, but where did he go first? The synagogues. Every single time, every single time, where are my kinsmen? Where are my kinsmen? I need to preach the truth to them. These people who have all this light, they think, and truth, I've got to talk to them. But he also wanted to talk to those Gentiles. His heart absolutely broke for them. He said, they are Israelites to them, belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. All these people, oh, how I love them. How I love them. And what did he say? He said, brothers, my my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And I would argue that for us who have been in church for a long time, We cannot begin to try to become righteous in ourselves or think that because we are tenured in the faith at FNT, another church, or have done X number of things or know Y amount of scripture that somehow we are more special to God than the ignorant who may come in. We have to be careful that we don't like those Jewish people who had been exposed to all that truth, not to begin to take a proud mindset. That as we come from the culture of those that are brought into faith in Christ and know nothing, an increasingly more and more secular society, that those of us from another generation would come in and now have to start have issues among us. And I don't believe that this is happening now, but I do feel prompted that we are going to have a wonderful opportunity for that to happen in this upcoming year. In the upcoming year. Is it okay for God to bring people who are not well-adjusted or from the same culture into our church and be okay with it? Is it okay for those that would be relatively Gentiles to us? Maybe we spiritual Jews, we those who have had all this truth. Is it okay for them to come in or do we want to make them like us? Sure, we want to disciple them. 
Sure, we want to help them to walk in freedom with Jesus. Sure, the grace of God is going to break that off. But what mindset will we come to them with if they come flooding into our church? Look around the room. For many of us, you could actually look around the room. I don't, I'm not just saying it. Like, actually, look around the room if you would. Just look from left to right, right to left. A lot of times we're kind of afraid to look around. And, but if you look at most of us, for the majority of us, the biggest differentiation is age, generation. Or maybe education or socioeconomic status, right? For the majority, difference. But what if God would bring in something significantly different? Significantly different. I've said it before, and I'll briefly touch on it again, but when I married my wife, I thought that because we're both Caucasian, we're both from a first world country, and we both speak English, that we would have relatively the same culture. But when we got married, I quickly realized that was not true. Because we came from two completely different worlds of normal of right, of family relationship. And so there was what? There was stuff that we had to work through. And we're still, we still work through things all the time because we're different people. But if that was that big of a difference to me, what if God brings in someone extremely different? What if he brings in a harvest of former Muslims? Oh God, I'm not, I'm not trained for that. I'm not ready for that. Whoa, 20 Muslims from, from LSU just got saved through an outreach? Man, they went through this training in the young adults and now they're out there ministering to them saying, oh yeah, I know your five pillars, but do you know who Christ is? And Oh yeah, I read the Torah. You know, have you read the Injil? Have you read the, the New Testament? Have you? And they come in. Things are going to look and feel and even smell a little different, aren't they? It's going to be very, very different. It's going to be different than our traditional children who are not well disciplined. Praise God, I'll believe he's going to, he'll help them and we'll guide them the best that we can, you know, in the ways of the Lord and in fireplace. And God will have to raise up more helpers, more laborers, trustworthy people to help. But what are we going to do? Get bent out of shape? I, I, I think I would a little bit. I personally think I would a little bit. I think it would feel a little bit weird to go out into the foyer and hear Arabic being spoken. And I'm like, man, what's going on out here? What are they saying? What are they doing? You know, it, it would begin to impact us. Oh, I think I know church for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they really wouldn't fit here. But I bet they could go to that church across town. We have that relationship with that pastor. Let's send them over there. I think that would just be a better fit for them. Or maybe to the intellectual, we'd say, you know, I'm sorry, God only uses the ignorant, you know. It says that in Romans 2. You, sorry, he can't use it. You're too smart. You just don't fit our church tradition. You're just not kind of what the fabric has been at FNT for the past 35 or maybe for the past four. You're just different. It's just a little hard. Do you see that? And maybe we wouldn't say that with our words, but our body language, the way we kind of treat them or thing. Those Jewish people were used to being the special ones. Before Jesus. To be joined to God at their time before the cross. Like I said, it meant to be joined to the Jewish nation. Taking on their customs. Learning how to read the Torah. And if you were a man, it was to the point of circumcision. As a grown adult, without anesthesia. It was a serious thing. To be connected to the people of God. But when the veil was torn... That temple system was done with. The joining of God is no longer synonymous with a certain culture, a certain look, a certain feel of people. 
But it is now being joined to Jesus. And when I look at the end of the script, guess who's around the throne? Every tribe, every people, every nation. You can ask Felix. He was at college and he, he, he was in a home there and he had roommates. And they were from everywhere else. And the food that they even cooked would just stay in there forever. It was very, very different. And it impacted his normal. It impacted everything that was real. If we don't think this is a big deal, look, this, and this is, this is not a rebuke. I know I'm like getting fired up, but that's who I am. This is not a rebuke. This is an exhortation. This is an encouragement that I believe God is going to bring them. So let him prepare me, my heart, your hearts now. Now, you know, we can be madly in love with our, with our fiance and we're going to do everything for them. But whenever the rubber hits the road, whenever you're even from the same culture, you still come from different family cultures and you're joined together, you still have difficulties. So our hearts can be completely prepared, but there still might be different things that we have to work through. And that's okay because we're people, but we don't want to ever turn away the harvest that God brings in. And if this is this is this is something that's all through the New Testament. Acts chapter eleven. Cornelius, I mean, my goodness! If you know the story of Cornelius, Peter is on the rooftop. He's fasting. He's seeking God. God interrupts that private prayer time, and he says, "Go and visit this uncircumcised Roman soldier." Oh God, I can't do that. Don't call anything unclean. Go with him. Go with him and preach the gospel. God moves mightily. He preaches the gospel. The guy is praying in tongues. People around him are and they're prophesying. They get saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is awesome. He's excited. He's going back to Jerusalem. I mean, these people, once they hear this testimony, they're going to be as excited as I am. Not at all. In verse chapter 11, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Oh, if they had only known the scriptures of Isaiah and Malachi that talked about the incense from all over the earth. How salvation would be like the waters. How all the peoples would flow into Israel. They would have been so excited about the advancing of the kingdom of their Christ. Right? But instead, what happened? So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. They heard about them speaking in tongues. They heard about them prophesying. They heard about the vision. They heard about the salvation. And they criticized them? What in the, really, the world? What in the world? God just moved mightily to rescue these people from darkness and bring them to light. And you're actually criticizing the man who didn't even want to go in the first place. How must that make him feel? But then Peter began and he explained it to them in order. And then at the end of it, they finally said, oh, well, then God has also granted repentance to the Gentiles. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. Why wasn't that your first reaction? Why weren't you happy when these different people came in at first? Why did it take this? Didn't you know that God wanted everyone? Yes. Yes. And, you know, we all, we all have things like that where God needs to work on us. But this is something that regularly happened in the church. In Acts 15 
Again, Paul now, Paul's going to face the wrath of the traditional traditionalists. He's going to face the wrath of those whom he just doesn't quite fit in with what he's doing. He goes on a missionary trip. Oh, he's at Antioch. You know, remember that was a Gentile church and they were okay with that in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas and then Paul comes and then the Holy Spirit sends them out on a mission trip. Hallelujah. This is awesome. The Holy Spirit actually said in a prayer meeting, set aside Barnabas and Paul. For the, for the task I have at hand. And they go and the demons are cast out of people. People are made blind because they're, they're trying to stop people from believing the gospel. Miracles are happening everywhere. Gentiles are turning everywhere to Jesus. But some of the men came from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. What? What? And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, or argument, other, uh, other translations say, and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas, some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. I, I mean, they're already saved. They're already filled with the Holy Spirit. And now you have question if they need to check your little traditional box before they're right with God and before you'll accept them. What is going on? When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and, and the apostles and the elders. They declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them in order to keep, and, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. They must keep our tradition if they're going to be right. They must keep it. They want to circumcise them with the same stone as it were. <clears throat> What's that stone? Maybe it's, they need to use my Bible version, or they're not right. Have you seen Facebook? Have you seen Facebook? Enough said there. Our way of dressing for church. I, I, wanna, I want them to fit, and I need to circum. they need to dress this way to come into church. That's not right. They shouldn't dress that way. That is dishonorable to the house of God. Are they showing things they shouldn't show? No, but I just, this is, this is what's right. This is proper. Especially if they're going to come be in the altar of, you know, in, in a choir of praise. Sure, we want to dress decently. Sure, absolutely, right? But we can have a circumcision stone in our hands that we want the other people when they come in. I'm like, come here. I'm like, I will get you. Our way of worship. Our musical taste. It could be our musical taste. It could be they even have to listen to Hillsong or Maverick City. And while those are great, are you want to, do you want people to fit your tradition before you will accept them? Is it okay to still listen to Selah? Yes, it is. It's okay to listen to both. I may want them to fit my personality type. Oh my goodness, we, our personalities, our opinions, they need to fit my intelligence level. They can fit between this box and this box. But they're, if they're below here in ignorance or above here in intelligence, I just can't deal with them. I, I just don't like that. That just kind of uh, messes with me. That's not the church I'm used to. Uh, is it your church? Is it my church? Is God allowed to save a Saul of Tarsus who was an intellectual? Is he allowed to, to bring an Apollo who can speak really well and do apologetics? Is he allowed to bring the ignorant? It, can we all... You talk about coexisting, but in the body of Christ, can we really be joined together and work together? Do we have to fit each other's molds? Or do they have to use my lingo? I mean, like, that changes every day. 
Joe, those people from the apartments, you need to make them dress and act differently. They just don't fit. Wendy, those LSU students, I don't get them. They're a different generation. Look, it was a hard enough thing for me to accept millennials. But now you want to bring in Gen Z's? Gen Z's? Man, they don't even know how to have a conversation or look at you in the eyes. <laughs> just, I mean, Charles, those internationals, some of them don't have our hygiene habits. They don't. They don't. It, it's not funny. It, it, it is true. Some of them don't. And they come in. <laughs> you know? Uh, is that going to be what we do? Andrew, you brought a former prisoner to church. I looked up online their name when I learned their last name. I saw what they did. Well, praise the Lord. I don't have a record of your wrongs before Christ. And you don't have a record of my wrongs before Christ on Google. Because if you did, you wouldn't let me in here. And I probably wouldn't like you either. Everywhere Paul went, the Gentiles believed, and the religious crowd could not stand it. They resisted God's plan. And I just want to tell another story here. And maybe I've said this, but please forgive me because I just recently read this biography and was impacted by it. But the Jesus movement on the West Coast. Guy, uh, maybe I've said this before. I, again, I'm just going to say it again. Chuck Smith, he was a Pentecostal man. He was in the Four Square movement for about 17 years, being matured and grown as a pastor. Feels God telling him, step out, start an independent work. So he does. He's, he's born in the early 1900s. He lived to see World War II, though he didn't fight in it. He lived through the Great Depression. He, he knows the value of working hard and respect and, you know, being nice, clean cut. And after that time, you know what was going on in the 60s, 70s? The hippies. Oh, those hippies, those bums. Oh, breaking their parents' hearts, going out there. It's kind of like our opioid crisis, perhaps. Except they weren't just addicts. They really thought they could bring peace to the world by getting high on LSD. Get, get turned on, they said, and then everything will be okay. That was what they had been told and sold as a bill of goods. Like a lot of people in our society have been joined to groups and movements and told, if we can get these things accomplished, then things will be right. But then as all those false movements are, they were let to the ground by Satan. Their lives were destroyed and they just wandered up and down the beaches with their long hair and no shoes. And Chuck Smith could not stand them. Could not. Every time he saw them, they would just get under his nails, under his skin. Who is that for you? Just think about that in your mind. Every time you see a person come out quite like that, just whatever it is, just mm, that bothers me so much. But his wife had a soft spot for the hippies. And she was praying, God, would you please let me meet a hippie? I just, I really want to meet a hippie. And she told her husband that. He's, he's grumbling. And she's like, oh, Lord, I want to meet a hippie. And then one day, one of their daughters brings home a friend who's a hippie, who had been born again, still got the long hair, still got, you know, kind of just dressing like a hippie. And they heard about how powerfully he had been born again, filled with the spirit, used by God, was still hitchhiking so that he could reach other hippies. He didn't escape from it completely. He escaped from the sin by the grace of God, but he stayed within that community to keep ministering to them. And God was moving so powerfully that all of these hippies are getting saved. But the traditional churches did not want them. They don't smell right. They don't look right. They don't act right. They just, ugh, they get under my skin. I just don't like that culture. I just don't like that culture. But his heart was moved on by God and God birthed Calvary Chapel denomination. And they saw tens of thousands of hippies saved. 
discipled, brought out of drug addiction, brought out of all sorts of bondages, set free, became pastors. Their hair went from here to here to here. Some of them, maybe it's still there, uh, you know, but whatever. They got saved because God was able to get past his tradition. And he was able to get them into a church that would receive them. And a lot of those people are some of the names that you might hear today. I've not really listened to much of his preaching, but people like Greg Laurie, if you've ever heard of him, a big pastor now in California, came out of that. A lot of people. Have you ever heard of Maranatha Music? If you're 35 or older and been saved for a little bit of time, Maranatha Music was born out of those hippies, out of Calvary Chapel. That's what it came from. These people that everyone else rejected actually transformed all the Christian music that you listen to over the past 30 to 40 years. They began writing music. They began saying, you know, Chuck, could we, could we maybe just perform the song? You know, you know, it's a little different than, than what y'all are used to, but could we get in front of the church? Maybe like Anthem was. Maybe like anointed is. Could we do this? Yes. And then people started to request them. And then they started to form these things and they actually record CDs and labels. Those people that God never wanted transformed the face of Christianity in America. Because a couple was willing to let God break their traditional mold. Not to accept sin. But to accept the people that God was bringing in. Oh, don't you want to be a part of it? I don't want to send people somewhere else. But I know that in me, there is no good thing. And that things might kind of get on my nerves if, if, if something's a little different. But I don't want to be that way. I want to be like Chuck Smith. I want to be like Paul explaining to these people that you're all one in Christ. And though you may have received truth for longer and maybe be a little bit further ahead in your knowledge, you are no better than the barbarians and the ignorant. Let them in. Don't send them off to a different service. If 40 or 50 internationals come in and they want to hear Jesus, I mean, unless of course they don't know English enough and then we need to simplify it, then sure, certainly. But just because they're different, don't reject the move of God. Will we disciple them, pray with them, fast with them, assist them, invest in their lives and go knee deep into the muck and mire to help pull them out? Or will their cultural economic and other differences make us throw up our hands and say they're just too different they're just too different why don't they just form their own church and hold their own services but if you're a person and you don't fit the mold do you also disdain those that have been here longer it goes on both feet are the old folks just throwaways and you can't wait to shake them off will the ignorant offend us how about the educated? Questions that I want to ponder. Things I want God to deal with in my life. We all have an area of struggle in that way. In 2022, I really do believe we're going to get the opportunity to let those areas be dealt with by God. I really believe that there are going to be great opportunities as the harvest comes in. We can't determine what the harvest is. What we do is throw the seed out and God brings the increase. But we can determine what we will do with the harvest and if we will harvest right we can't tell we can't choose what type but we can decide to put the sickle in and to bring it in or just let it rot right there just a little too different just not real comfortable y'all can come up the church at jerusalem the church at rome had a choice 
And what you see in the book of Acts that happens to that church in Jerusalem that was always stuck in their tradition and their way of doing things. Do you know what happened in church history? Well, of course, Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, but they never really did a whole lot. It didn't seem like. But the church, it moved north, it moved west, and it began to flourish. And those Gentiles and those barbarian and those ignorant people. And would to God that we have a mighty harvest come in. So again, this is just an encouragement. This is for my own heart. As I studied and read this, I just was like, golly, oh, I am just, I'm not cool. I'm unclean. I'm got dark sludge in my heart. I want to welcome people. I want my heart to be ready and open to receive whoever the harvest is that God brings in. God, I just ask for that right now. And I, and I do just humble myself, Lord. I thank you that you anointed Paul to say those things to the church in Rome that had differences of opinion and personality and culture. They were just so different from one another. But you were able to do it. You have always been able to do it. And it can be beautiful. It can be beautiful even if it's hard. doesn't mean that we're wrong if it's hard and we're opening up our hearts to allow you to deal with things and groups of people and cultures. And maybe, Lord, even... Maybe you have family members who are drug addicts and your hearts break and you just are angry and bitter, though, against people like that. Just let God deal with whatever those things are. And if there's nothing that you can think of right now, just say, God, bring the harvest. Bring the harvest and let us know what to do with them. Let us receive them and love them. Just pray that. Pray in hope. Pray in anticipation. God, let us hear your voice like Barnabas and Saul did and you told them where to go and you brought the harvest. Show us where to go. Anoint the outreaches that we have. Oh God, just bring them in. Bring them in, Lord. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation and every culture, even within Baton Rouge, every different, everything. Let us be a church that you can trust with everyone. Make us a church you can trust. Make me Someone that you can trust that I won't be doing anything except saying, Lord, you deal with their hearts and let the rest be up to you. Where they dress and everything. Oh God, just ask for this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.